Welcome to the Artelligence Podcast. I'm Marion Manneker, and we're going to explore the mysteries of the global art market. The $450 million sale this month at Christie's of Leonardo da Vinci's Salvatore Mundi has unleashed an avalanche of skepticism and doubt. In response, I spoke to Bender Grosvenor, host of the BBC's Britain's Lost Masterpieces, and an old master dealer. Grosvenor has discovered more than his fair share of auction sleepers. Bender Grosvenor, thank you for taking a little bit of time to explain the world of rediscovered old masters to us. Pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I wanted to follow up all of the hullabaloo surrounding the Leonardo sale last week with a conversation about really why there are so many doubts about its supposed um, authenticity or lack thereof uh, when you and others have pointed out that there is a an extraordinary uh, preponderance of uh, opinion that it is indeed a Leonardo. I think some of it we can get to towards the end is is more about the sum and the art market and the sort of broader world. But I thought since you have a great deal more experience than uh, most people in looking at paintings and uh, changing their attribution do, after doing a great deal of research, that you could uh, walk us uh, through this a little bit. Uh, yes. I mean, I have to say I'm slightly baffled by the the fact that this great painting uh, and its great sale has now become you know, regularly described in the press as disputed or you know, experts doubt, um, because really uh, there aren't that many experts doubting it. Uh, if there's any doubt at all, it's about the extent to which Leonardo may have involved his studio assistants in the painting of it. And that's normal for most 15th, 16th, 17th, even 18th century artists. You know, the successful, the big names always had workshops behind them, helping them prepare panels, canvases, that sort of thing. Uh, and sometimes participating in elements such as drapery. So what I find curious about this, uh, the, the recent sale of the Leonardo, is that when it was uh, announced to the world in that exhibition in London, the National Gallery, uh, when was that, 2011, I think? Yes. Um, now, that, that got a pretty positive reception. Um, and when it was sold to the to the Russian billionaire, uh, you know, it was pretty positively received. It featured in programs, catalogs, books and everything. Suddenly it's at Christie's in a contemporary sale and it makes $450 million and everyone's scratching their chins and sucking their teeth. And the only thing that has changed in the meantime is the price. So I think what this this kind of fact that this this picture has now become controversial really reflects more on on us and the way we sort of view art and the way we tend to view and value art by all sorts of other, you know, criteria, such as, you know, whether it's sold in the right way or whether it's perceived to have made too much money or whether the right people are buying it and all these funny questions. Well, the right people, I think, is is pretty uh, close to one of the big issues here. There's certainly a certain element of sort of les liaisons dangereuses, you know, the idea that the the wealthy, the uh, uh, upper class are inherently immoral and doing immoral things is somewhat sort of inverted here in the idea that they're they're foolish or inherently foolish and are being taken for a ride uh, in in buying this. But uh, we could talk about that in a, a minute. I, I do want to go a little more into the sort of details 
since you, you know you you've both paid attention and uh, as I said before, you actually do this. Uh, you know, my impression, especially of the 2011 uh, National Gallery show, is it was a very big deal that they were including it in that show. It, they understood that in in doing that, they were you know putting a capstone on this multi-year process of finding the work stripping it down doing a great deal of uh, restoration uh, on it and uh both research and you know going to various you know luminaries in the field there are a number of people who are experts on on Leonardo who they they consulted yeah i mean to get a, a newly discovered leonardo da vinci into an exhibition at the national gallery is setting the bar as high as you possibly can for a rediscovered work of art particularly one that's been rediscovered you know so recently as a sleeper in an auction um so it's it's almost impossible to overstate the extreme caution with which the national gallery would have approached that painting in 2011 and they ticked every box and dotted every i to make sure that they were safe to include what was clearly potentially a very controversial and risky picture. Um, and so I, you know, I, I place great respect on that, everybody who was involved in that process, and I think they did a great job. And so what, you know, what's changed five years later? Well, really nothing significant. Um, if anything, there's more evidence in favor of the picture. There's a book coming out next year at Ox, uh, OUP, Oxford University Press, uh, focused on this painting with a huge amount of research. Um, so, you know, as far as the expertise goes, I think it's, it's pretty bulletproof. Well, let's, let's break it down because the expertise comes in two types. There's the, um, connoisseurship where you go to Martin Kemp and the other people who have studied Leonardo their entire lives, who've looked very closely at all of the extant work who, you know, as we saw with a, an earlier work where, you know, the cross hatching was very important in showing the left handedness of, uh, uh, of the, the creator. I don't think that's ever been accepted as a, a Leonardo, but I mean, it really is about people using their visual knowledge and experience to, uh, to get a sense of what makes um, logical sense to, to them. And then on the other side, there's an increasing use of scientific evidence uh, including looking at the pigments. I gather the robes have uh, evidence of or, or have lapis lazuli in them, which is uh, somewhat of an indication that you know, it's both an incredibly valuable um, uh, component of a pigment and wouldn't be uh, accessible to, to many artists unless they were of Leonardo's st stature, and that there's been extensive work done on the... Um, the materials of the wood and, uh, you know, the other, uh, uh, the brush strokes through various infrared and, uh, you know, other uh, uh, scanning to, to look at the way the work was built up. Yeah, I mean, so far, the only evidence, uh, the only sort of doubt that has been cast on the picture comes in the former category, which is saying connoisseurship. So, you know, there's no stylistic evidence or documentary evidence to say, to, to ring alarm bells here. Um, and that's what I think is one of the strong parts of the case. But just going back to the controversy, the sort of what I thought was an interesting indicator of the sort of, you know, the wider media, if you like, determination to make this a controversial picture is do you remember that uh, a, a few weeks ago, Walter Isaacson, who's that distinguished author, has written a, a biography 
William Leonardo that's new, newly published. Um, he was quoted in the press as saying, you know, he's one of the experts who doubts this picture because of some, something about the way that Christ was holding the orb. Um, and then he, you know, he published on his Facebook page, he said, I'm sorry, this has been, my comments have been taken entirely out of context. I agree that this is by Leonardo. There's no evidence to say that it isn't. All the experts are impressively behind the painting. But, but that didn't, you know, that was too late. The genie was out of the bottle. And so it was, it, is, it was already becoming experts doubt this picture ahead of the sale. And now it's made $450 million. It's, you know, it's a widely disputed picture. And it's just, it's farcical, really. I, I always say that art brings out everyone's inner communist. Um, and the fact that it made $450 million, I think, is really just, just annoyed so many people. Yes, it does. It does get up people's noses uh, in an, in a, a fascinating way. Uh, m- my understanding is what uh, Isaacson was discussing there was the um, the orb uh, distorts the robes and his hand slightly, but the optics uh, really ought to make it invert the image of what's behind the orb. And in in Leonardo's case, being uh, a keen uh, observer of and very interested in optics, he would have quite well known that a glass orb would have inverted the image, and that's the that's the part that got quoted uh, as suggesting he was in, in doubt. But what was really odd about that report was the writer went on to use a um, later etching of the work as evidence that this couldn't be it because in that etching. It, indeed, the orb inverted the image, and of course, it turns out the etching does no such thing. <laughs> the the etching yeah. <laughs> magnifies in in a, in a very similar way, and and actually verifies it. It just there's there was a, a, an eagerness for people to you know find this gotcha to uh, invalidate the work, which which is even more interesting considering the the work already had a bit of a cloud over it, not connected to its uh, uh, authorship or rediscovery, but simply to the fact that it, it was involved in a transaction where uh, one of the, the you know, a- agents of the transaction had, um, you know, kept uh, how much profit he was making from the uh, ultimate buyer. And that seemed to be the thing that would um, invalidate the work more than uh, any questions of its actual authenticity. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's 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 many ways you could call this a controversial picture, you know, sale history, and we'll come onto its condition later on. But no, that interesting that business about the holler, the etching by Winceslas Holler and the Globe was very interesting because, the, as you say, people were desperately searching for a reason, you know, a gotcha moment to say, "Aha, I'm right, and everyone's wrong," and not by Leonardo, but they they were just imagining it, it fantasy art history, I call it. Um, but those are the people who got picked up. Well, answer a question for me that's become part of this. This is one of the things that Jerry Saltz produced, uh, you know, that uh, Leonardo's compositions, all the, the bodies are, um, uh, are, are twisted. They, they, you know, there's no, never someone facing directly on uh, to the viewer, to which one uh, scholar pointed out that, that that 
this subject matter requires the viewer to be addressed directly by uh, Christ. Uh, you know, that's the, the sort of purpose of the painting and uh, and all. Uh, but I, I was just curious on the connoisseurship part of it. Is that, that just simply, you know, we've got such a small number of these works, 15 to 20 uh, of his that have survived, that people are, are sort of interpolating from those existing works that he couldn't possibly have made uh, uh, something with the with the subject matter in this format well uh, people have latched onto leonardo as a sort of um you know people think they know about leonardo because he's famous and he's quite accessible and dan brown's written lots of books about him but you know we don't know what you know it's like going back to the business of the globe that that salvador mundi is holding on one logical level you, you could say well yes the palm should be inverted in this globe so Leonardo would have known that, and therefore he can't have painted this picture. But yet you look at the back of the, the background of the Virgin of the Rocks, uh, there's no rock formation that would ever stand up the way Leonardo has painted it in that undoubted Leonardo picture. So he was clearly an artist, uh, also a scientist, but he was perfectly capable of painting things in an artistic way. And therefore we can't apply our sort of 21st century logic retrospectively to these people. So you you do this for a living, uh, you know, look for uh, works that are uh, either misattributed or painted over or, you know, have uh, layers of varnish on, on them. Uh, do, do you think this is going to launch, uh, you know, a, a, a whole new wave of, of uh, competitors and treasure hunters uh, out there with uh, flashlights, uh, you know, coming into country homes behind you? Every time I get outbid on a picture, I think, oh, curses, you know, there's too many people involved in this game now. But no, people have been trying this on for years. Um, the people who discovered this particular painting are the geniuses. They're at the top of the game, um, Alex Parrish and Robert Simon. Um, so I have huge admiration for them. Um, and of course, it's very easy for people to be optimistic and think they found the next Leonardo. And many a fortune has been broken by people wading into this business and thinking they can do it. And then they find out it's actually harder than you think. Well, I, I presume it's almost the other way around, that you have to approach everything with so much skepticism that only the things that could you know, get through your, your extreme prejudice are worth then taking to the, the next step. Um, yes, you could say that. I think that's actually, it's an interesting, one of the reasons I think that artists make the worst connoisseurs, actually, is because uh, they're too forgiving to their fellow artists. And I think to be a, a good connoisseur, a good sort of picture sleuth, if you like, you've got to be really hard on artists and you've got to be you know absolutely focused on what the best is and, and i know that, that you know that's a loaded what they call value judgment determining what the best is but you have to focus on that if you're trying to find for example a lost leonardo well, is it what is it you're looking for? Just something that um, doesn't add up with what you're being told, or a clue in in some other uh, a fashion that would uh, put this picture in a different context? I mean, maybe we should do it in in a different way. You know, there there was a few years ago uh, a. a a ruffle of interest around a supposed Leonardo that was originally sold as a 19th century um, German painting uh, by Christie's. And then there were 
you know, uh, uh, people who decided that it was a, a Leonardo, they got some very good uh, opinions that it could possibly be, uh, but that never really uh, stood up. I mean, what what are the things that go off uh, for you when you're looking at something that you think maybe something quite different? Well, I suppose that's that's two separate questions. I mean, the first is what what goes off. I mean, so when someone like Alex Parrish walked into that auction in New York and saw this picture and thought, hmm, hang on a minute. Uh, um, you know, I think someone like Alex is is what we would call in historical terms, he's an, he's an empiricist. So he would never pay attention to the catalogue or the label or beside a picture. He would always judge it purely on the basis of what he sees himself. And so not have any prejudices when he looks at a painting. And so there may have been, you know, good bits or bad bits of that picture that didn't quite add up. Um, and he understands condition and he knows how to detect originality. So the fact that, you know, Salvatore Mundi's hands had been shifted, all these things would have ringed alarm bells in his head to make him take this picture seriously. Um, uh, the, the, the drawing you're referring to, the, the Bella Principessa, um, which was hailed by some of the Leonardo. Now, that's a textbook example, I think, of how not to announce your Leonardo discovery to the world um, because they got carried away there. And I think they 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 went go, you know, they pressed the launch button before they had everything behind them. And then it soon fell apart, particularly the fact that it was uh, published in this book um, with uh, evidence, you know, about fingerprints. And it turned out that the guy did the fingerprinting was... Uh, you know, doubts have since been raised about his methodology, um, and I think I think that one, the Bella Principessa, has sort of quietly died a death. Maybe I, I shouldn't say that, but anyway, it's clearly not included in any national gallery exhibitions. No, and it it, it whatever momentum it had it, uh, has uh, dissipated, and they don't seem to be. Um, pushing forward and and one might may, maybe we'll see it again in a year or two uh, uh, especially I gather the Louvre is doing a, a Leonardo show uh, in two years uh, so you know that may also bring back more people searching for for yet another Leonardo you 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 brought up um, the condition which I gather was the other you know uh, big issue here uh, you know there's a difference between and, and and so it, it, it's worth sort of talking a little bit about uh, restoration. I guess you know uh, there's a, a question of sort of tolerance in in all of this, or, or what one's expectations are, are from uh, something that is this old um, and has been through <laughs> what it's been. There, you know, one, one collector I know who was from the moment it was announced was very hostile uh, uh, to the picture, described it as a ruin, and I thought. Yes, and and I think that's part of why it's sort of so appealing. <laughs> is is mm. it's a it's a it's a vestige of a, a greater picture at one time, and you can see some of those parts. And they've also, even with the restoration, left to others. Uh, you know, haven't tried to recreate the them. So I I, I just wanted to. Sort of Go through. I mean, I, we even had this recent thing with uh, Tom Campbell, the former director of the Metropolitan Museum, kind of weighing in uh, on this. You know, Christie's was fairly um, 
straightforward in demonstrating and showing uh, images from the restoration pro process that this was uh, a fairly restored uh, a picture. Is is it a you know exceptionally restored in your experience? Is you know what, what's your sense of what your tolerance of, of what they've done uh, is and how it ought to be viewed? I've spoken to people about this picture, you know, who should, who are important curators in institutions who have said to me um, in a sort of conspiratorial way, uh, oh, I've seen pictures of that. I've seen photos of that painting stripped down and it's a wreck. Uh, you know, I know, they say. Uh, and to be honest, they don't know. Not enough people commenting on the condition of this picture actually know about the condition of oil master paintings. And you know, I sympathize with them when they see a picture of this Salvador Mundi stripped down and it's got big losses in it. They go, oh, my God, it's a wreck. But they haven't spent enough time in a conservation studio. They haven't spent enough time with 500-year-old pictures that are being stripped down uh, and that have, you know, been through the ravages of time or, or fires, disasters, all the rest of it, and have emerged pretty much intact. Um, now, uh, I, so, that's, so there's been a lot of sort of ill-founded comment i think on the condition of this picture uh, and to if tom campbell had spent more time in the conservation studio than when he was there i don't think he'd have made those comments um there was a very interesting article an editorial in the burlington magazine just this month saying uh, the condition is one of the things that museums don't talk about enough they don't educate the public about condition it's almost something that we're shy about you know we're, we're we are nervous about releasing images of pictures that are stripped down and i agree with you the christies were quite bold in in making that decision to, to, to put the pictures out there, especially the X-ray and the infrared picture, which showed all the damage. Um, so now, uh, move, moving forward a little, certainly the Salvador Mundi has got condition issues. It's definitely not in, in good nick. It's been bashed about, it's been overpainted, uh, um, it's got losses in the panel. Um, compared to the Last Supper, however, it's in mint condition. Um, so, you know, not all of Leonardo's pictures have come down to us in as good as condition as lots of people might expect them to have. And and when we talk about uh, that condition, I gather the, the the board it's on had uh, worms, and and you know part of it was uh, uh, the restoration was stabilizing the uh, the board itself so that it didn't continue to um, uh, you know. Uh, uh, break apart the the, the image uh, uh you know everyone has to make choices when you do that uh, you know the, of what what's original and what needs to be added to uh represent the picture in its best possible uh light i'm assuming the goal with this was to give it a sense of it being whole without trying to do what, you know, had been the problem earlier, or sort of add too much back that was lost. Yeah, I think they did a very good job. I mean, um, what can I say? I, I saw it in the National Gallery when people were sort of first, you know, what I call the armchair connoisseurs were saying, oh, it's terrible condition, over-restored. And I, I thought the restoration was very sensitive and it's actually, if anything, it's under-restored. Um, is that but, is that because the the sort of the face and especially uh, the eyes, which we're told in a bunch of different contexts, it, there's a lot of loss around the eyes and and all that that they haven't really tried to build that up ag uh, again. They've ex sort of accepted that. They've I mean they've obviously filled in the place where there there were gaps along the the side and the cracks and, and and all of that, but they haven't tried to you know 
paint onto the details around the face and eyes that have been lost. No, I think many restorers um, and many dealers over their shoulders would have said, you know, give him a bit of a pupil so he's got some more focus in his eyes. Um, but they resisted that temptation. I don't think it hinders the picture. Uh, you know, the, it's an archaeological specimen. It, it has its history. It wears its history quite proudly. Um, now, all of this is totally separate from the fact that two people decided to bid to $400 million. <laughs> um, the picture is still the picture, whether it was sold for, for $1 or $400 million. But yeah. people are conflating the two, and yes. I find that really odd. Well, I mean, I I think uh, the price actually doesn't help uh, any of this, especially if you know the the bidding had a, a certain exactly that that runaway feeling. You know, there was a moment um, in the bidding uh, around the two hundred mark where it looked like it was over. Uh, and, and indeed the auctioneer kind of made a joke about, uh, you know, don't take the picture yet. Uh, and then it all began again with the last two bidders. Uh, and I think went farther than anyone, you know, uh, uh, reasonably expected, let alone, you know, uh, uh, uh had hoped for. Uh, and so it, it does leave this, this sort of moment with everyone scratching their he heads and wondering what the hell's going on when that seems to be a separate issue from, you know, the painting itself and, uh, you know, what the painting means. I mean, it still is, uh, uh, uh because there are so few, it's a curiosity. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's buying that unique object that very few people can. I think what's striking about it is that there seem to be six, uh, different, uh, bidders, uh, up, uh, with three at least going up to around two hundred and fifteen million dollars. That's that's an extraordinary uh, a thing. Let alone that there were two up to three hundred and seventy million dollars. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're constantly being told that nobody wants old masters and that, that you know they're not uh, the, the the market is dead. So for the last two years, the most expensive pictures sold in the world have been old masters. Uh, this year, the Salvatore Mundi, and the year before, the uh, the Rothschild Rembrandts. Well, do you think? You know, especially given the kinds of crowds that showed up, do you think that's really almost sort of more of a matter of people, uh, you know, connecting the public to what these paintings are? Because they clearly, if you if you give them a good story, they they'll show up. Um, yeah, but then they were showing up. Um, they were queuing around the block for Leonardo's exhibition in the National Gallery. Um, you know, these big name artists draw crowds. Um, they just do. And I have to say, I felt slightly sorry for the the owner of that Basquiat, which was the, the following lot in the, in the sale at Christie's, which died on his ass uh, predictably. Um, it, normally, in a, in a contemporary sale, that would be the star lot, wouldn't it? But uh, there was no interest whatsoever. And I thought I, the, the old master optimist in me thought that was rather a prophetic moment. Well, I, you know, it's so funny. There was so much controversy and 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 uh, again anger that the, these uh, this work was being put in a contemporary art sale. But when you look at the rest of the sale, uh, it certainly they 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 something like three hundred thirty eight million dollars worth of art was was sold, but not there were were not very many other exciting uh bidding wars taking place and a lot of it sold for you know uh what they expected or what they sort of prearranged with guarantees and um 
you know, just uh, sort of beating the bushes to to get the uh, bidders out. So it, it it really was the Leonardo sale with uh, a couple hours of uh, contemporary art <laughs> tacked on around it. <laughs> Maybe not benefiting from from it, but certainly uh, the Leonardo wasn't being. Um, uh, disadvantaged in any way by being in a different uh, context. Yeah, well, you know, I think Christie's, uh, uh, you know, I'm, not, I'm more of a Sotheby's man, I have to say, generally, but I think Christie's did the most amazing thing with this sale. Uh, what a risk they took. Yes. It could, you know, the picture could have bought in, it would have been the most controversial thing in auctioneering history. They could have absolutely had egg on their faces, but it took off. And if actually, if anything, the risk has gone the other way now. That, um, as you were saying, that it makes the sale they put it into that market, it makes that market look a bit humdrum. But I'm sure everything will reset uh, in in good time. We'll we'll never see anything like it again. I mean, I don't know who bought it, um, but that was the most bizarre and extraordinary piece of auction uh, bidding I've I've ever seen. That that throwing out that last bid from 370 to 400 million like that. I mean, why? You could you could buy two old master sales for that bid. Well, that I mean that wasn't the first time they jumped the bid. Uh, earlier on, uh, the same bidder jumped, I, and I think might have done it also to get to the round numbers. So the the that bidder I believe um, got two hundred and was sort of keen to get to two hundred. And I think also got three hundred, but certainly was willing to spend thirty million plus the the, the buyer's premium, so thirty four, thirty five million to to get to um, uh, four hundred, and that certainly put some of the rumors that have been flying around uh, a, a kilter because the idea that a a an investment fund that is making a rational business decision to uh, lease the picture out to Chinese museums or, or whatever and, and make its money back that way, the idea that they would be eager to end the auction by jumping a bid at that length or, or even be able to make that decision impulsively seems, seems uh, out of character with the way um, institutions will work. And it certainly seems like it's uh, someone for whom you know the tension of the, the auction uh, needed to end, uh, and as I said, it, you know the the fact that it seemed to be over at two hundred, and then and then even after that, there were some very small increments. It was it, it really turned into one of those um, dog fights where they were constantly sort of circling each other, trying to shake each other uh, uh, off. It really does feel like it's uh, someone buying something very personal. Um, uh, that has a you know a personal importance to them. Which look, uh, you know, we saw that with uh, Bill Gates buying buying the um, Codex Hammer uh, thirty years mm-hmm. ago. Uh, you know, this is the these are not r- rational calculations. This is a as you said, oh, a, a, a once in probably more than a lifetime uh, uh, opportunity. And if one uh, has the the means to be able to uh, Make back uh, four hundred fifty million dollars in, in 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 a few years. It might feel that this is far more important to you the the chance to have owned a Leonardo uh, than uh, any amount of money uh, is to you at that level. Um, yes, I think it it certainly felt to well. We'll wait and see your it, but it certainly felt to me like a, a, an unconventional buyer. I love the idea that it was some sort of you know clever fund. Whoever came up with such a crazy idea, 
Um, but anyway, um, uh, one thing is that, you know, Christie's were quite clever in their marketing as the last Da Vinci. But of course it isn't. Um, there are others out there. I'm, I'm sure there are others out there. And one is privately owned. It belongs to the Duke of Buccleuch and is, um, is currently on display a few, uh, no more than a mile from where I'm sitting at the National Gallery of Edinburgh. And and uh, probably doesn't get nearly the traffic uh, it should from the the same sorts of uh, worshiping uh, viewers that that showed up at uh, uh, Christie's to look at uh, the last Da Vinci than the one that probably could be one. Right? That's the that's the um, is that the Yarnwinder? Uh, uh, the, the Madonna of the Yarnwinder. Yeah. I wouldn't like to. I wouldn't like to be the Duke's, um, you know, Sears insurance bill now because that's gone up a few. <laughs> that's gone up a bit. Well, well, what what do you think happens? I mean, is there a renewed effort to uh, authenticate the few known possible uh, Leonardo's that are out there? I don't know. I mean, you know, that drawing that turned up in Paris the other day. Uh, the, you know, these things will creep out the woodwork just like the Salvatore Mundi did. Um, we, we, you know, constantly in art history, we think we know everything, and uh, we don't. Um, and this, uh, the, the, what I love about the the Salvatore Mundi, uh, is that it kind of, it it shoots down every old cliche about the old master world that you can imagine. You know, this idea that great pictures don't come up anymore, that you know they don't fetch high prices, nobody wants them. All of these things have been nixed by this one sale. I think it's tremendous. Yes, and and I thought it was uh, very funny that the, you know, you talked about Christie's marketing, but even even Christie's didn't really anticipate this uh, event. They started by pairing it with a Warhol, and in fact, the the way the whole sale came about was that they had secured the the sixty Last Suppers Warhol um, uh, uh, for sale, and Loic came up with the somewhat off the wall idea of uh selling this as well and and sort of set about to to get it done he deserves an enormous amount of credit uh if nothing else because he was very nervous about it he he recognized that uh, if it didn't go well uh, uh he would look like a fool uh, doing that i mean uh, you know one of the things that came out uh, recently was uh, simply that uh, when uh, Reba Lovelove was uh, looking at buying it, Bouvier, his advisor, initially told him, you'll, you're, you'll be looked at like a fool if you buy this th- thing. And so they were doing everything they could to give it sex appeal, to make it modern. And the reverse happened, right? You know, instead of people walking in and, and wanting to see them together or talk about Warhol and uh, uh, Da Vinci, people sort of forgot about the Warhol. Hole and the lines developed and they took it around on tour and the lines persisted and it you know they they came to that last moment where they finally realized you know hey it's the it's the um reaction of these people that really sells this work and that final video they ran uh just days before the sale i mean i think that's the other extraordinary thing we think of marketing as being a big build-up but really one of their best pieces came within a week of the uh actual auction that video of the the people um you know uh viewing it in, in various uh uh you know expressions of uh, rapture and transportation uh, in, in front of it. And so uh, it it really, you know, Loic said this uh, uh, himself, you know, wasn't we who sold it, it's the picture sold itself. And 
there's a certain element to that is that it sort of found its own way uh, in the in the market. And uh, I, I think you're you're right. There is this uh, uh, almost it's a, a thing. If we can connect people to the meaning of these pi- pictures, they seem very eager uh, to be in front of them. Well, you know, old master champions like me have been banging on for ages and saying that, you know, people, the, the, the public, for want of a better term, they genuinely like old masters. Uh, they love, you know, it's, it's sure the bigger the name, the better, Rembrandt, Leonardo, Caravaggio, whatever, but they're popular. And uh, the kind of the high prices that we've been seeing for the Warhols and the Basquiat's, whatever, that, that represents something else. That represents uh, not popularity, but a kind of, you know, a fashion and a taste and an investment and all those other things. And I think what's fascinating, as you said, about the, you know, I don't even know if the Warhol sold. Did the Warhol sell, sell in the end, the Last Supper? Yeah, it, supper? it did, and it seemed to have some bids, uh, you know, one, one or two, but, you know, they had but a guarantee know. on it. So, I mean, they, they got the job done, let's put it that, that way. But it was, certainly wasn't exciting, and it was very much – everything at that point was completely yeah. overshadowed by uh, so, the, the Leonardo. So nobody, nobody's talking about that anymore. And I think, that, I think this is a watershed, potentially a watershed moment that, you know, there's old Warhol flogging to death the copies um, and, and riding on, on, you know, on, you know, on Leonardo's uh, coattail, so to speak. And suddenly Leonardo's come along and totally eclipsed him. And um, there we go. Well, you you have a, a regular television show about old ma- masters. Have you uh, uh, you know seen a response to this? Will it change what you do and how you approach it? Um, I don't, you know I hope so. People seem to like the shows that I make, which are about artists, you know, uh, old master artists that many people have never heard of. But it just goes all as Christie's demonstrated is you've got to find the story and tell the story very well. Uh, and and it's as simple as that. And I thought his marketing, um, people, you know, people like Tom Campbell have said, oh, a tribe of marketing over connoisseurship. But, you know, Leonardo was good at marketing himself. All these artists are good at marketing themselves. Um, so uh, the picture, I think, did market itself. And I thought that video at the end of people looking at it was poetic. I, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And um, I'm in awe of how, how Christie's played this one. Yes, I I think we we all sort of agree that they they deserve a great deal of credit for uh, uh, for it, and and uh, I think you're right. It'll be interesting to see what happens next with uh, both the old masters market and just people's uh, uh, approach to these pa- paintings. I, I think you know you 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 mentioned that uh, uh, Christie's contemporary department. You know they decided to do something different, but I've also been told that they took a conscious decision not to put it in an old master sale. Because they didn't want to expose the picture to the kind of the, the slightly sort of what do they call you know the red trouser brigade, um, who was sort of huff and puff and and because old master sales can be quite uh, sort of vitriolic atmospheres at times. A lot of people say you know a lot of competitive voices out there, including intra auction house, I must say, yes. uh, saying you know oh that picture's not right or this you know condition's terrible. So Christie's decided not to subject the Salvatore Mundi to that world. And uh, I think those of you know, those who was involved in selling all master pictures need to reflect on that um, because it, it, it paid off for both the Leonardo and Christie's. 
you know, that's, uh, uh, I think, a good place to end. But that's a, a very interesting sort of po point that, uh, you know, it's not so much the scrutiny that it, it avoided, but it the backbiting, the unnecessary competitiveness, and and it sounds like what you're saying is in, in part that you know the old masters world could use a little more uh, people banding together and um, uh, generating excitement than uh, you know carping at each other. Yeah, because all the people who are busy out there at the moment say, "Oh, outrageous, terrible conditions, not Leonardo." They're you know they pass for old master lovers. So they should be, you know, we should be all celebrating this moment, saying this is a breakthrough moment where people around the world are focusing on old masters in a way they've never done before. And let's let's build on that. But, you know, I'm one of life's optimists, Marion, so um, maybe I'm <laughs> unusual in that respect. Well, let's end on an optimistic note then. Uh, yeah. Bendor, this has been great. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Artelligence Podcast. Visit us at artmarketmonitor.com. 